Well, good morning, Providence. Um, it's a special morning to get to celebrate Bob. And just to put perspective um, on Bob, most pastors at a church only stay for three years. And so it's amazing to have um, Bob stay here at Providence for 20 years, almost 20 years and serve. And Bob, that's a challenge for me. I hope that I get to stay and serve at Providence for that long. But five years now, hopefully I'll get there. Um, but faithful, uh, faithfulness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Um, we're going to be in the Gospel of John this morning. The Gospel of John, chapter 14. We've been marching through the Gospel of John, going through our series, Fully Alive, because John um, tells us later on his book what the whole book of John is about. And it's that you would know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and through knowing that he is the Son of God, you would believe and have abundant life. And so we've called it Fully Alive. And we're going to be in the Gospel of John chapter 14. And let me just give you the context before we dive into chapter 14, because chapter 13 and 14, they're all linked together. And Jesus has been having a meal with his disciples. Um, he's been eating with them and honestly laying a lot of heavy things on his disciples. I mean, imagine having a dinner and Jesus is saying this. He says, hey, I'm going to depart. I'm going to leave here. I'm going to leave you guys just so you know. And... Um, when I leave, don't worry, you're going to forsake me or betray me. And so let's eat now. I mean, that's the heaviness of this situation. That's the heaviness of this picture that we see here is that Jesus is looking at these men and he's saying, you're going to forsake me or betray me and I'm leaving. That's a heavy, heavy spot to be in. And so here we start in verse one of chapter 14. And this is what Jesus says in spite of leading up to this, all this heaviness that he says. He starts in verse one and he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Verse one is key to everything else that Jesus is gonna say. I'm gonna read it again. Don't miss it. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas says to him, <clears throat> um, Lord, uh, we, we don't know the, where you're going. Um, how can we know the way? And Jesus says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you would have known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And Philip, another one of the disciples, said to Jesus, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do 
because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Let's pray. Take a moment right now to just pray silently and ask that God would speak to you through his word this morning. Take a moment just to pray for me that I would communicate God's beautiful word and glorious gospel clearly this morning. Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised. Lord, thank you that through this text, you speak to our troubled hearts. That in the midst of heaviness or things that we have heard this week, Lord, you desire to comfort our hearts and give us peace. And so this morning, Lord, give us understanding to this text. Help us to apply it to our lives so that we would live differently because of your great grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, as I read this text and as I was studying this week, the theological nerd within me would love to settle on several issues in this text. There's a lot that we could talk about in this text. But just for clarity and just for the time that we have, I really want to zone in on one thing that I think Jesus is showing us in this passage. And it's this, that Jesus is the way to find lasting peace for troubled hearts. Jesus is the way to find lasting peace for troubled hearts. If you don't get anything else, that's what I want you to walk away with, that it is through Jesus and Jesus alone that we can find not just comfort, but peace that is everlasting. Now, I don't know where you are, what happened this week, but most of us in this room are, are settling with, untroub- with, with troubled hearts. We sit here And there's a lot of things racing through our minds, whether it be family-related or work-related or relationship. All those things are are maybe wrestling within our hearts, this heaviness. I mean, even for me, as I'm reading through this text and studying and prepping for this text, my heart's a little troubled because I read at the end where it says, ask anything in my name and I will do it. The reason why I'm a little troubled about that is because we've been teaching my daughter how to pray. She's four years old. And the first thing we taught her is just to be thankful. And so she was thanking God, thanking God for her mother, thanking God for her stuffed animals, thanking God for her brother. So I really tried to push her and encourage her to to ask God for something. So she's praying and she does her normal, thank you for uh, mom and thank you for my stuffed animals. And Jesus, please give me a puppy. And um, I'm like, okay, I'm a little troubled because he says here, anything you ask in my name, I'll do. And I'm like, oh no. So I'm a little concerned, but... For you guys, you might not be troubled about a puppy. You might not be troubled about much in your life, but there's something that's probably troubling your heart. I mean, what is it that, that, that wakes you up at night? What is it that runs through your mind throughout the day? What is it that's troubling your hearts? Because Jesus desires to speak to that today. He decide, desires to encourage you today. The first thing I want us to see from this text is that let not your hearts be troubled because Jesus is the peace for our future. Jesus is the peace for our future. Now this is huge 
Because most of the stuff that we worry about, most of the stuff that brings us anxiety and stress are things that are in the future, right? We're thinking about where am I gonna work? Where am I gonna live? How am I gonna retire? What does retirement look like? And all of those are locations along the way. But what we find here in this text is that Jesus sets before us the ending point, the destination. And so yes, all those locations are important, but as long as we know the destination, it gives us hope all throughout. And that's what Jesus does here. In verse two, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he starts to describe it just a little bit. And he talks about it's a place of many rooms, or maybe your Bible says many mansions. And there's been ink spilt over this where it's like, okay, what exactly is he talking about here? What does this room look like? What does this mansion look like? Is it a five car mansion? You know, has it got the columns in the front? You know, what is this? But I think if we were in this moment and we asked Jesus to describe it a little bit more, because he does, Jesus talks more about a person than he does about the place. Jesus talks more about the person than about the place because heaven is more about the person of God than it is the place. Look what Jesus says in verse three. I'm going to prepare this place for you that where I am, you may be also. And he even says right before that, that I will come again to take you to myself. Jesus is saying, no matter where you are on this map, no matter what location you're at right now, I'm with you. And no matter where you think you're going, you need to know to speak to your troubled heart that I am at the end as well. That I am preparing the place that you can dwell with me forever. Now, why is that such encouraging news? I mean, why should that lift up our troubled hearts? Why should that lift up the disciples' troubled hearts when they're like, we're gonna forsake you, we're gonna betray you? What? Like, why, why is that encouraging? Because God's nearness is our good. If you desire perfect peace, you're going to find it in the Prince of Peace. If you desire for your heart to be stilled, it's found in the one that says, peace, be still. It's the one that says, be still and know that I am God. In the presence of God is where all our fears and anxieties melt because we are trusting in the one who is sovereign and good. So that's why this is encouraging. When we think about the destination, when we think about heaven, We're thinking about God. And there's a little bit of humor in this text, at least to me, because Jesus talks like his disciples already know what he's talking about. He already assumes that they know what he's saying. Look at verse four. He says, and you know the way to where I'm going. Now, ladies, you know guys well enough that if there's a destination set before them and they don't know how to get there, they're probably not gonna ask, right? I mean, that's why MapQuest is a cash cow because they've made all this money on men that don't ask for directions. So you see here, Jesus is talking about this and he says, hey, you guys know the way to where I'm going. It's my father's house. And I'm just guessing in a room full of men in a room full of disciples, they're probably starting to look around at one another and they're probably starting to be like, hey, do you know where his father's house is at? 
I don't know. Do you, do you know how to get there? I have no idea. And I don't know if they drew straws or what happened in that moment, but Thomas is finally the one that speaks up. And he's like, okay, Jesus. In verse five, he's like, Lord, we do not know where you're going. Okay, we have no idea what you're talking about right now. And we certainly don't know the way. So he just asks, okay, we need the destination, Jesus, and we also need the directions because we don't understand it. Their hearts are even troubled in this moment because they don't even know what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus responds and he says, you want the destination? You want the directions? It's right here. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus speaks the same truth to your troubled heart this morning. He says, you want clarity in the fog? It's right here. I am the way. I'm the truth. I am the life. It's found in him. He is the destination. He is the direction. And even in this moment, even though Jesus explains this, it's still not a clear picture yet. We will see as the the book of John continues to unfold that through Christ's death and through his resurrection, we see how he is the way, the truth, and the life. Through his death, our sins are forgiven. Through his resurrection, we have life. And all of that is wrapped up as God's truth for you and for me. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And trusting in that and believing in that gives us peace for our troubled hearts. And we will not find it anywhere else. Jesus is very specific here that he is the way, the truth, and the life. The world is going to offer offer us a lot of comfort, a lot of temporary things to try to help us make from one location to the next location. But what Jesus offers us here is true and lasting peace through him and through him alone. And the only way we get to enjoy that is through the death, through the cross, through the resurrection. If there was another way, if there was another way that we could get this peace and this comfort that Jesus is offering here, that we could receive salvation, if there was any other way, then Jesus never would have come down to earth and died on the cross. It would have been the biggest mistake in history to have God leave his throne and come down and die if there was another way. And some people read this text and this text even brings them trouble in their heart because they're like, wait, this is really exclusive. You're saying there's only one way that I can know peace for my life and there's, there's only one way to have salvation and it's found in Jesus? That's so exclusive. My heart just rubs against that. Now the truth is this, that it is exclusive. It is only through Jesus Christ. But we have to know that it is inclusive as well because it is available to all who would believe. It doesn't matter what nationality you are, what race you are, what social status you have. None of that matters. It is available to all who would believe. So let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus can bring peace to your heart today. And so church, there's two points of application. There's two challenges for us. One is because Jesus is exclusive and he's the only way to find this peace for a troubled heart. We have to live on mission to tell others of Christ. We have to live on mission in our workplaces to be intentional to tell others about Jesus, to reach out to our neighbors and our family, 
Even when it's been years that you've been praying for somebody and sharing the gospel, we have to continue steadfastly to live life on mission because there's no other way in which man can be saved. There's no other way. And if you read this text and your heart is troubled about, what about people in Africa that have never heard the gospel? You're right. That's why we go there. That's why we're trying to get the gospel there so that all would know and God's kingdom would come. And so church, live life on mission, taking the gospel, taking this good news to those who don't know. But second church, rejoice and have joy in the peace that Christ gives us. Don't let let anxiety rule your heart. Don't let worrying about the future and what it would hold keep you from worshiping God today, following him faithfully today. So live on mission and rejoice in the peace that God gives us. So let not your hearts be troubled for the future. It's already set in Christ. But also let not your hearts be troubled for Jesus is our peace for the present. Jesus is our peace for the present. In verse seven, Jesus starts to talk about how personal God is. He starts talking about how glorious it is that we can know God, we can see God. Now, this is a big deal for our present right now because we live in a society that is so high tech and so high paced that we lack the personal touch and our hearts yearn for it. I mean, we oftentimes feel like this guy that's surrounded by people and things are moving so fast, but we don't have a relationship with anybody. But what trends are being set are and what people are seeing is the more and more that we are in this high technology revolution, the more and more our hearts are longing for something personal. And it's not just on the technological side of it, although that's part of it. I mean, even on the the mobile side of things, like people used to buy a house and live in it for years. And now people move every few years. Have you ever felt like at work, you do your job and you work really hard and then you go home at the end of the day and you think, I mean, does anybody even notice what I do? I mean, does anybody even care about the work that I'm doing? I mean, all of that is the heart within us longing for something personal. We're longing for something more. We're longing for that personal touch. Even for me, we were changing internet services a couple weeks ago and the internet service I'm calling to cancel on, um, I can't even get a hold of them. And this is a big company. Uh, I've called them three days in a row and it keeps saying all lines are busy, try again another time. And then finally I get through and then it's automated. So it's like, if you have a problem, push one. If you have a problem with this, then this and this and this, push another number and I'm pushing it. And about the fourth time I push a button, I'm just like, I just want to talk to somebody. <laughs> like, I just want to hear a voice. I want to know that there's somebody there. And all of these things, what they're doing is they're showing us our desire for something more and something personal. And what Christ is showing his disciples in this text and what he's showing us is that we can know the personal God. I mean, look at the words that Jesus uses here. He says in verse seven, from now on, you know him and you have seen him. This is a huge deal. You can know and you can see God. This is the God that spoke the world into existence. 
This is the God that knitted you together when you were in your mother's womb. This is the God in whom we read about. The angels cover their faces because they can't see him. And then Jesus says, this is the God you can have a relationship with. This is the God you can interact with. This is the God that one day when you get to that destination of heaven, you can touch. This is a big deal. This is a personal God in whom we serve. But so often we miss out on this glorious relationship with God because of our heads and our hearts. We miss finding this this peace that God offers, this peace that Jesus wants to give us because of our heads and our hearts. Look at Philip here in verse eight. Look at what Philip asks. And this is a probably very innocent question, but it's Jesus' response that's interesting to me. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and this will be enough. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long that you still do not know me? Philip had walked with Jesus. He had worked with Jesus. He might have even known Jesus' favorite color. I don't know. But in this moment, Jesus looks at Philip and he says, you don't even know me. Philip knew all these facts about Jesus, but he didn't at this point have this personal relationship with Jesus. Oh, he will. I mean, he will. He, there's a day he's gonna come and he's going to lay down his life for Christ because he knows him. But in this point, he's trying to understand who Christ is and his head is getting in the way. All these facts of like what Jesus should be is getting in the way of who Jesus really is. And for us, it can be the same way. And what, what it looks like practically is I can know facts about my wife, but it doesn't mean I know my wife. I can know that my wife is 5'7". I can know that my wife has a size eight shoe. I can know she has brown hair. I can know that she weighs. <laughs> Y'all thought I was gonna say it, right? No, because I know my wife personally and I'm not gonna throw that number out there. Honestly, I don't even know that number. Um, but that doesn't mean I know my wife when I know these facts about my wife. Now, when I walk with my wife and I serve my wife and I love my wife, it changes me. It changes what I value. It changes how I live. And when you come to not just know in factual manner, but in a personal manner, God, he will change you. He will change your life. He will bring peace to a troubled heart. Second reason why we miss this personal relationship with God. It's like another disciple Jesus mentions earlier, but it's more like a Judas. It's a heart issue. Judas loved other things more than he loved Jesus. He knew the facts about Jesus. He just loved darkness rather than light. And I've seen this. I I was sharing the gospel with a guy a while back and he's thinking through, he's knowing all these facts and he's repeating them back to me. And we get to the end, I'm like, man, this is only a decision that you can make. Only you can walk on this path that Christ has laid before you. And he says, hey, I get everything you're saying. I understand that, that Christ died for my mistakes and my sins. I understand that he rose from the dead. Like he's repeating this back to me. And he says, but I also know if I, if I do that, if I trust in him and believe in him, it's gonna change my life. 
but I'm not ready for that. I told him, I I appreciate you realizing that because that is true, that Christ will change your life. But ultimately, he's missing out on a personal relationship with God because he loves something else more than Jesus. He loves something else more than Jesus. Knowing Jesus is going to change your life, but with it, you will find peace in the present for your troubled heart. And I love that. It's not just peace for the future, but Christ gives us peace now because we will dwell with him now for this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. That starts here and now, and it's found in Christ. The third thing I want us to see is, let not your hearts be troubled because Jesus is peace for our past. So he's peace for our future, he's peace for our present, but he's also peace for our past. We find this in the last few verses, but in order to see this, you really have to understand the whole picture. You really have to understand the whole context. Remember, Jesus has just looked at these men and he's told them, you are going to fail. And not just fail, I mean, you're going to epically fail. You're going to forsake me, you're going to leave me, you're going to deny me. And at the same time, in the same conversation, around the same dinner, Jesus looks at them in verse 12 and says, you will do the works that I do and greater works than these will you do. What? What are you talking about here, Jesus? You just said, we're going to leave you and forsake you. And now you're sitting here telling us that we're going to do greater works than you? What are you you talking about? I believe once the disciples did flee from Christ, when they betrayed Christ, they had to have thought back to what Jesus said here. They had to have thought back to their past and remembered their failures, but also thought back to their past and remembered what Christ had said. And if no other disciples did, we know that John did because he wrote it down in here. And I think this brings peace to our troubled hearts Because when we think of our past failures, the times that we've made mistakes and we've sinned, and we think there's no way that God could use me, I think I go to this verse and I look at what Christ says, greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. We will do greater works because of what Christ did on the cross. And so don't look at your past and be troubled by it. Don't look at your past and allow it to to suffocate you glorifying God today. I mean, there's times where we think, I can't share the gospel with that person today because of what I did last night. That is a lie. Christ has equipped you to share the gospel today because you are saved by grace. You weren't saved by those works that you did last night. You weren't defined by those works that you did last night, those sins that you did last night. No, you are defined by Christ and his salvation. And so we can faithfully share the gospel. We can faithfully have courage to be bold, to tell others about Christ and live life on mission. Not because of our personality, not because of what we've done, not because of our successes or our failures. It's because of Christ and Christ alone. It is found in him. And the disciples did greater works and we will do greater works also. I mean, think about this. Disciples went and spread the gospel to the ends of the earth at that known time. Christ, as he went and shared, he shared in the Palestine area. Peter's first message where he preached, 
3,000 people come to know the Lord, come to believe and trust that Jesus is the way. In all of the ministry we have recorded by Jesus, we don't have anything that amounts to 3,000 people repenting and turning to Christ. And today we get to take people from death to life. We get to help people come from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And that is all found in Christ Jesus. But because let's not read this and get cocky, right? Let's not read this and say, okay, we're gonna do greater works than Jesus. We're gonna do amazing things because it's really not about us. It's about him. And this also should give us great courage for our troubled hearts. Look what Jesus says. You're gonna do greater works. This is the last part of verse 12. You're gonna do greater works because I am going to the Father. We'll see next week when he goes to the Father, he sends the Spirit. But that's something that Christ did. He's going to the Father. And then he says, whatever you ask in my name, what, you will do? No, I will do. And then in verse 14, you ask me anything in my name, who's gonna do it? Christ will do it. It all rests on him. He is the author and finisher of faith. He's the one that saved you. He's the one that sustains you. It's all found in him. So our hope is not in ourself. Our trust and our hearts are resting in him. When I read this passage and I think of this text and just the trusting in Christ, I think about the Virginia Creeper Trail. And maybe you guys have ridden this before. Somebody told me about it and it's a trail up in Virginia where you're going through the mountains. Somebody said it's a 35 mile trail. And they asked me if I wanted to come and ride it with them. And I said, no, 35 miles is a long ways. I do not want to ride that. And he's like, no, no, you don't understand. This trail is actually a trail where you get a bike and they take you to the shuttle to the top of the mountain. And then you ride down the mountain. I'm like, that I can do right? I can sit and just ride because if you want to pedal, that's great, but you don't really have to because you're just kind of going down the hill. And that's what I picture when I read this text is that Christ is the gravity that is doing all of the work. And he's saying, you're going to do greater works, but it's because I'm the one, I'm the gravity that's pulling you to do these great works to glorify God. So don't be troubled. Don't be stressed of, I've got to do all of these works. Come to Christ and find peace in him, because it is in him and him alone that we can find this peace. I close with this. There's, this was um, a couple of months ago now, but I will never forget it. We got a phone call here at the church and there was a man who had found out that his wife was given uh, 48 hours to live. And uh, he used to be a member at Providence, but had retired and moved away. But his wife was... Um, getting medical attention at Duke. And so they had called us. So Larry Gilson and I um, are going to the hospital. And uh, along the way, Larry's telling me that this man has been through a lot. Like he's had a lot of troubled times because just a few months earlier, he found out that he had a tumor the size of a football in his chest. And they had done surgery and things had gone well. And just a few months later, he finds out that his, his wife is struggling. So I really expected to see this despondent man when we got there, but there was something different. You could see there was a, a heaviness on him, but it didn't trouble his heart. It was, it was really odd. And I didn't just see it. The doctors were actually asking him about it. We're talking to this man and 
He said, yeah, the doctors are asking me, how in the world are you so calm in the midst of all this? And he said, I told the doctor and I'll tell you guys this. He said, I truly believe that God has fashioned every day of my life because that's what his word says. He said, so when I woke up three months ago and I realized there was a tumor in my chest, I had peace because I know my God is good and he has fashioned that day for me so I could live in peace in that day. And he said, yeah, all of that went well, but it doesn't change the fact now as things go ill that God has fashioned this day for my wife and he's also fashioned this day for me. And I'm going to trust in him. So he is glorifying God by the peace God is giving him for his troubled heart. I mean, him and his wife are sharing the gospel with people in the hospital. When we prayed for them, the nurse stayed in the room because she wanted to know what this was all about. And this is the beauty that we find in Christ. This is the peace that we receive for our troubled hearts because it's found in Christ and Christ alone. And I believe, I know that God's desire is that you would have that peace in your life, just like that man had. And the way I know it is because as this conversation continues, and we'll cover it next week, but in John chapter 14, verse 27, this is what Jesus says. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus desires that we would have peace for our troubled hearts through him, the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you don't um, live so high above us that you don't see or know our problems. God, you came down and you lived our problems. Your Your heart was troubled to take away sin. Our hearts are troubled because we live in sin. And so God, help us to see that you are the way to peace. You are the way to truth. You are the way to life. And in you, may we feel the the stress and anxiety leave because your desire is that our hearts would not be troubled, but instead find rest in you. It's in Christ's great name that we ask this. Amen.